Eastview, how are you guys doing? You doing well? Good. Man, can I just tell you um, how much I've been looking forward to today? I feel honored to be here because I've watched and admired your church from a distance for many years. I've got quite a few friends that have been a part of this church until they moved to different parts of the country. The executive pastor at my church, he and his wife were married in this building. Like, I have just such great respect for this church. You have a great legacy, and I hope that you know that people around the country they talk and speak very well of this church. So it's been, I'm really excited to be here. And as cool and as great as your legacy is, I firmly believe that the best days of your church are actually in front of you. So I'm pumped. I'm pumped for your new lead pastor. I've, I've never gotten the chance to meet Brandon, but he and I have a lot of mutual friends and he also has spoken very highly of. And if you're thinking, okay, cool, bro. Like, I, I don't know what any of that is. I'm a guest and this is my first time here. Well, me too. It's my first time here also. My name's Matt Hessel. I'm the lead pastor of Life Ridge Christian Church. We're in northern Colorado. My wife and I, Kelly, we've been married for 18 years. We've got three kids. And of course, I brought a picture so you could see them. This is my crew. <laughs> Happiest place on earth, right? <laughs> now, that's real life. Like, parents, you know that that's real, right? That's true. That, that's what it's really like. It's not the all photogenic magic kingdom. No, it's like that. Now, to be fair, like be fair to my kids, we, <laughs> we really didn't set them up for success. Like that picture was taken at the end of the day in June. It's 400 degrees plus humidity and we had gone hard all day. Like we're pushing them all day to get around the park nonstop because it costs you a second mortgage to go to Disney World. So you better believe that we were gonna get our money's worth. Absolutely we were. So at the end of the day, we're trying to get them to take a picture and smile, even though we know like, that's not how it works. This is, this is not gonna go down well. We knew it, we tried it anyway, but I guess the rule of thumb is you can't force it. Like if somebody, something doesn't work that way, if you try to force it, great things are not gonna happen. So I, I think that's the rule of thumb. You can actually see that same rule of thumb played out in the Gospel of John. Like the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God works in a particular way, which is exactly the opposite of the way that our world works. But if you try to force it, it's just not gonna turn out great. It's not gonna turn out the way that you think. I mean, you can see this happening with Jesus. Like what's going on with him? Jesus just gets betrayed by a guy that he invested years in. A guy that just a few hours ago, Jesus got done washing that dude's feet. Somebody that was not supposed to be just his disciple, but also his friend. Well, he gets betrayed by that guy. Then he gets arrested. Then he gets lied about. Then he gets illegally tried. That whole trial at Caiaphas' house at night, completely illegal according to Jewish law. And then to top all of that off, one of the three guys that he invested in the most, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, a dude that was supposed to have his back, spent three years pouring into this guy, probably one of his closest friends, John and then this other guy. That guy ends up betraying him and saying, you know what, I don't even know who this guy is. Denies him three times in one night. I don't know who that dude is. So then they take Jesus to Pilate. Pilate's the Roman governor of Judea. The Jewish leaders take Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate comes out and he's like, okay, cool. Um, what accusation do you have against this man? And they're like, well, we wouldn't have brought him to you unless he was a criminal. A pilot wants nothing to do with this. Like, he didn't want to deal with this at all. He's probably rubbing his forehead. And he says, you know what? Okay, cool, just go. Why don't you just go and, and judge him according to your own law? But they can't because they want to kill him. And according to Roman law, 
to execute anyone, they have to have permission from the governor. So here's what goes down. This is John 18. I'm going to start in verse 33. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell, the, tell you about me? <laughs> Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Like why? What, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom's not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight me or fight for me to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, like you say that I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. So Pilate might've been being sarcastic. He might've been pretty dismissive. He might not have cared at all what Jesus was gonna answer. But this question is a question that everyone has to answer. Pilate has to answer this question, so do you, so do I. And this is Jesus king of the Jews. I boil it down, here's the question. Is Jesus king? Everyone has to answer that question. You have to, so do I. And how you answer that question, hear me on this, how you answer that question determines everything about you. Everything in this life and also for eternity. It's a question that you can't avoid. Pilate's trying to avoid it. You can't avoid it. Like you also can't have somebody else answer it for you either. Your spouse cannot answer this question for you. Your parents cannot answer this question for you. Your friends cannot answer this question for you. How you were raised does not answer this question for you. Your church cannot answer this question for you. You have to answer this question, is Jesus king? But before you answer, before you answer, because I think it's really easy in this setting to just say yes. Well, yeah, Jesus is king, of course. We're in church, bro. Like, yeah, that's the answer. That can almost become our default answer out of obligation. So let me ask you a different question. It's slightly different, but it can help to give some clarity. Who's sitting on your throne? Who's sitting on your throne? You have a king and you have a throne. Whoever's sitting on your throne, that's gonna tell you who your king really is because you can lie to yourself. Like you can say, oh yeah, Jesus is king. Is he really? Is he sitting on the throne? Whoever you're, whoever's sitting on your throne, that's who your king really is. So maybe it's, it's you. Are you sitting on your own throne? Are you your own king? Which is an incredibly popular option, especially today, the culture we live in now. You know what the dominant religion in our culture is? It's not Christianity. It's humanism, where self is king, where the greatest possible good is for you to do whatever feels good because if it feels good, that must mean it's right. And if you are your own king, then why would you not do what's good and what feels right to you? And this has been going on ever since Genesis 3 when Satan said to Adam and Eve, you can be like God, a.k.a. you can be your own God. So are you sitting on your throne? Or is it, is it money? That's a really easy one to point at. Is money what drives you? Does it dominate your thoughts? Does it cause you to worry more than anything else? Does it take most of your mental and emotional, even spiritual energy? Is money sitting on the throne? Or is it your career? You know, where you're at right now or where you wanna be? Maybe it's a business that you're trying to build. Is your, is your career what you're doing? Is that sitting on your throne? And if you're not sure, ask your spouse to answer that question for you. Or is it power and prestige? And Pilate was after that. He wanted power, he wanted prestige, he wanted recognition in this life. That's really easy to want. Is that what's sitting on the throne for you? Or is it politics? 
a political leader or a political party. And then what what we tend to do is think that, hey, this person or this party is gonna save us. Then we devote so much emotional energy to that person or that party. And then when we get to an election year, that's why it's really volatile. Because now whatever person or party is on your throne is being threatened by another candidate or another party. So the only thing we know how to do is just lash out. I mean, these are, these are just examples. There, there are all kinds of things, different things and different people that could be sitting on your throne. Just be honest with yourself to who or what it really is. Because whatever king is sitting on your throne, that's who your king really is. And if you have someone or something other than Jesus sitting on your throne, then eventually you're gonna rebel and even revolt against Jesus because now Jesus is a threat to your throne. Like this is one of the problems that the Jewish leaders had with Jesus. So is Jesus king? Pilate doesn't want to wait around. He, don't, he doesn't want to hear that answer. He doesn't want to dive into it. So he moves on to another question. He says, what is truth? It's a big question. Then he went out again to the people and he told them, he's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like, to, would you like for me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was just a distraction. Like that's all he was. He was just a distraction. Pilate did not want to deal with Jesus' authority. He didn't want to deal with the truth. He didn't care about hearing an answer to that question. He doesn't wait for an answer. Like he just wants Jesus to be gone. So Barabbas becomes a distraction. In fact, he's actually using Barabbas so that he can let go of Jesus. Because letting go of Jesus is his tactic of avoiding authority and truth altogether. Pilate's avoiding, but the crowd's attacking. I, I put yourself there. Imagine what this would have been like. Pilate has Jesus beaten to within an inch of his life. Beaten. In fact, the beating that Jesus took, a lot of people died from that. Forget the cross. They didn't even make it to the cross. Pilate has him beaten. And then when he's done being beaten, the Roman soldiers take these thorns and they wrap it around into this crown simply to mock him and for their own sadistic pleasure. They shove it on his head. Then they grab a purple robe and they put it around his shoulders to mock him a little bit more, laughing the whole time while they yell out, hail, king of the Jews, while they take turns punching him in the face. When that gets done, Jesus is, he's bleeding, he's bruised, his face is swollen, it's probably contorted. Like you can see the the thorns piercing his scalp. That scratchy purple robe is, is rubbing up against exposed flesh on his back. It's not really what a king looks like. So Pilate takes him like that and he leads him back out in front of the crowd and he says, behold, the man. Pilate thought that this would lighten up the crowd. Like they would kind of back off Jesus when they saw how torn up he was. But some of the chief priests, no, no, they they double down on it. Some of the priests start yelling, crucify him. And they get the crowd to do the same thing. They all start shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Not the reaction Pilate thought was going to happen. So Pilate brings him back inside and he says, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do, do, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. 
Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He didn't want anything to do with him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Like everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down at the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him. We have no king. Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. They sold out. So he delivered him over to be crucified. It's really easy to watch this and play armchair quarterback. It's really easy to point a finger at Pilate and say, bro, you're a coward and you're weak because all you're doing is placating to the crowd. Pilate's career was being threatened. Like he knew that if he had one more stirrup in Judea, that might mean he's gonna lose his job. It might even mean he loses his life. So he's not gonna do the right thing. Like he knows the right thing is to release Jesus. That's why he tries to do it over and over again. He knows the right thing is to release Jesus. However, that might bring on some possible consequences. So instead of Pilate suffering possible consequences, he's more than willing to let Jesus suffer them for him. That's weakness. Here's the truth that we can see right now. When men are weak, innocent people get hurt. When men are weak, innocent people get hurt. But I could do the exact same thing. I'm just as vulnerable to this. I might not do what's right in any given situation because I'm afraid of what it might cost me. So really, I'm not gonna speak for you, I'll just speak for me. I'm no different than Pilate. And then you've got the Jews, you've got the crowd. And it's really easy to look at them and say, really? Like, really? Like, how did you miss this? How did you not see that Jesus is the Messiah? Guys, you've been waiting for 1,500 years. You've got God's word. You've memorized it. You write it on your forehead. You've got things dangling off your robe to remember this, and you missed it? Seriously? And then you had the gall to say, away with him? Like, how do you do that? And if that wasn't bad enough, how do, you, how do you attack him and then call for him to be crucified, the most vicious and humiliating way to be killed? I'm not different from them either. It'd be really easy for me to say away with Jesus at any moment. Now, I might not verbally articulate that, but maybe I'm saying away with Jesus by the way I live. It's really easy to say that Jesus is king right here, Right? But what happens when I'm alone? When I'm alone, is, is that saying that Jesus is king or am I saying away with him? Am I saying I have no king but Caesar? The point is, again, I'm not gonna speak for you. You know, we've never met, so I'm just gonna speak for me. I'm just as vulnerable to do the exact same thing that Pilate did or that the crowd did. Like how? Like how do you get to that spot? Like remember this first. Who your king is brings out who you really are. Like who your king is will bring out who you really are. For Pilate, that was ambition and wealth. The dude wanted to get rich. He wanted to climb the ladder. This guy married the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus simply so he could get in with power and set himself up. Like there's a gold digger. Like I don't know what the equivalent is for somebody that wants power. Like that's Pilate. And now he's trying to avoid a riot at all costs because that might threaten his king, political ambition and wealth. Anything that threatens his throne, man, he doesn't want that. 
And then for the crowd, their king was their own power. They wanted to sit on their own throne. Jesus was a threat to that. So who their king really was, that's what drove what their decisions were. That's what drove their actions. And the same thing is true for you and me. Absolutely is true for you and me. If you are your own king, if I am my own king, if you're sitting on your throne, then what's gonna come out of you is gonna be a lot of pride. Pride's gonna drive you. You know what else is gonna come out of you? Entitlements. Where you're entitled, where your preferences determine everything else. And eventually, if you are your own king, if you're sitting on your own throne, eventually you're just gonna be a full-blown narcissist. Like that's what's gonna come out of you. Or if politics is sitting on your throne, then in 2024, you're gonna be angry. (laughs) Yeah, I can hear the low rumbles of laughter, right? That's a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? You know what else is gonna come out of you if politics sits on your throne? Division. Are we not a divided country? Yeah, if that's your king, division's gonna come out of you also. But if Jesus is your king, if he's really sitting on your throne, you know what's gonna come out of you? Humility. Love's gonna come out of you. Peace is gonna come out of you. Joy is gonna come out of you. Faithfulness is gonna come out of you. Goodness is gonna come out of you. Kindness is gonna come out of you. Self-control is gonna come out of you. If Jesus really is your king, you're gonna start to look like him. You're gonna start to act like him. You're gonna start to speak like him out of default. It's what we call sanctification. It's awesome. But who your king is, that's gonna bring out who you really are. Man, for Pilate, who he really was, man, it brought him to run. And for the Jews, for the crowd, they responded with rage. Which brings you to the second thing. Remember this, whoever your king is decides what you do with the truth. If you have anyone or anything other than Jesus sitting on your throne, when it comes to authority and when it comes to truth, you're either gonna avoid it or you're going to attack it. Jesus is God. That means he has authority. Pilate thought he had authority. He thought he had the authority to release Jesus or kill him. But Jesus was very clear about this in John 10, 18. He said, I sacrifice my life voluntarily. I lay it down on my own. Nobody takes it from me. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to pick it back up again. Pilate's confused about that. And the Jews, they just flat out rejected it. And then there comes this existential question about truth. What is truth? What's crazy was when he's asking that question, the answer is actually standing right in front of him. It shouldn't have been what is truth. The right question is who is truth? Because truth is a person. Jesus was very clear on this in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. That's one of the most freeing and one of the most offensive verses in the entire Bible. It's offensive because it sounds exclusive. Like, wait, Matt, are you telling me that there's one way, that there's one truth, that there's one light, like singular? That sounds incredibly exclusive, Matt. I don't know if I'm down with that. That doesn't doesn't seem right. So the question will get asked, is the gospel of Jesus Christ exclusive? The answer, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. The answer is absolutely it is. The gospel is incredibly exclusive, but it's freeing. Here's what's really cool. It's freeing that you don't have to guess. You don't have to guess, is it this way? Is it that way? Do I do this? Do I I follow this religion? Do I adhere to this ideology or this belief system or this popular narrative and culture? No, 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 it's Jesus, one way. That's freeing, you don't have to guess. And here's the great news, as exclusive as it is, it's entirely inclusive and that it's for everyone. It's for everyone, but you and I, we don't get to change it. Like we don't get to manipulate it. We don't get to shift the gospel to fit my preferences or what I want, which the world would love for you to do. 
If the world can't get you just to flat out reject Jesus, then the next option is, yeah, we're cool with you worshiping Jesus as long as it's a Jesus created in your own image. A Jesus that thinks like you, that talks like you, that acts like you, that affirms everything you think and everything that you do. Sure, worship that Jesus. That's just not the Jesus of the Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. If you know that, if you, man, if you've invested in that, if you've accepted that, good grief. We don't have to worry about what hits us now. That's incredibly comforting. But Pilate avoided the truth and the crowd attacked it. And the same thing is happening today. When Jesus showed up, avoiding the truth or attacking it, this is nothing new when Jesus shows up on the scene. Again, it goes all the way back. Oh, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Satan says, did God really say? That was the very first attack on the truth of God's word. Right there. The same thing is happening today. You're gonna, be put, you're gonna have messages put in front of you all the time, attacking the truth or trying to get you to avoid it. It happens every single day and it happens almost constantly because we have these little devices in our pockets. It doesn't give us access. It gives everything else in the world access to us. So you're gonna get messages about the truth all the time. Two of the most popular ones right now are that truth is relative. The truth is relative, it's subjective, it's whatever you want it to be and that truth is yours. But by definition, truth is constant and it's unchanging. That means it can't be relative. It cannot be subjective. And something else that's really popular that you're gonna hear today, especially if you're my generation or younger, something really popular today is to say, you know what? Live your truth. Live my truth. You've heard this before, right? But here's the thing. There are no possessive pronouns when it comes to truth. There's the truth. It's constant, it's unchanging, and it's for everyone. The other big push, the other big attack on truth today is to say, there is no truth. There's no truth at all. But that in and of itself, that right there, that's a truth statement. Like whenever there is no acknowledgement or standard for truth, then there's no moral basis for right and wrong. And then everything falls apart. We're seeing that happen around us in real time, aren't we? And when there's fallout, there's gonna be destructive damage. It's gonna be painful. The fall in John 19, an innocent man gets crucified. That's what happened when there is no truth. Pilate rejected it, so did the crowd. And because they wanted the throne for themselves, they wanted to eliminate the threats. But here's what they didn't realize. Here's what they didn't realize. This is exactly how the kingdom of God works. It's gaining by losing every single time. Like in, in this moment, Jesus is bloodied, he's beaten, doesn't look like he's in a position to take over his throne when the crowd is screaming for him to be crucified. I mean, you would think that a king who is standing there being stripped naked, about to be publicly crucified, that guy's not ready to take over a kingdom. But that's exactly how the true king takes on his throne. The true king takes his throne by willingly suffering and sacrificing himself. That's how the kingdom of God works. It's gaining by losing. Like, I cannot force myself onto the throne, neither can you. I cannot force anything else onto the throne that I want to be on my throne. And I certainly can't force Jesus off of it, just like I can't force my kids to take a picture at the end of the day in Disney World. It's just not gonna happen without somebody losing their mind. And that's how the kingdom of God works, gaining by losing.
And when it comes to gaining and losing, like you and I, every single one of us, we're gonna spend our lifetime doing both. But here's the great news. You get a choice. You get to choose what order those two things go in. Are you gonna lose because you're trying to gain or are you gonna gain because you're trying to lose? A pilot's trying to gain by being a people pleaser. The crowd, they're trying to gain by eliminating a threat. In the end, they both lose. They didn't get to throw them like they thought they would. And what makes it even worse, not only did they lose, we're talking about them today. 2,000 years ago, and they're remembered throughout history in infamy. Jesus said, he was clear on this, whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Save it. Gaining by losing. So let me ask you one more time. Let me ask you one more time. Who's sitting on your throne? Is it Jesus or is it someone or something else? Things seem a little chaotic right now, don't they? Like life just seems chaotic. Now, I don't know what's going on with you. Maybe you got some stuff going on right now. You're going through this time of just pain, loss, Maybe it's personally, maybe it's with your family, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in your circles. Maybe nobody knows what you're suffering through right now. Like, I don't know what you're going through. But it just feels like, it feels like to me that there is so much division and confusion and angst right now. Is that fair to say? Would you agree with that? There's this fear about what's gonna happen next, right? Like with whatever, there's fear about what's gonna happen with the economy, or if you're younger and you're trying to buy a house, you're like, how am I ever gonna afford this? There's fear about what's gonna happen with global conflicts, Israel and Hamas, Ukraine and Russia. There's fear about what's gonna happen with the Bears. They're gonna keep Justin Fields? Or are gonna they trade away the number one pick? I'm just telling you now, you heard it here first. I think Caleb Williams is a bust. I'm telling you that to help you out, Bears fans, okay? If we clap at that, all right, let's clap at Jesus too, all right? But hey, my Colts are in just as bad a shape, so we'll, we'll, we'll move past that. But hey, if we want to top it off and make it even more fun, it's an election year. It's going to get crazy for the next few months, is it not? Here's what's really cool. Here's what's really cool. If you know who the king is and you've given him, as your, you've given him your throne, you can be calm, cool, and collected in the middle of chaos and crisis, in the middle of loss. He said in John 16, but take heart. Like we really don't say, use words like that if you do. If you say, but take heart, it's kind of weird, don't do that. Instead, we would say, don't worry. Jesus says, don't worry, because I've overcome the world. And he's proving it right here. He's proving it. I mean, look at Jesus in the scene. He's just standing there. He's not freaking out. If anyone had a reason to freak out, it's the guy who's got a crown of thorns shoved on his head while a thousand people are screaming for him to be crucified. If he's not freaking out in that session, right there, what do we have to be scared of? Or what do we have to be scared of? Nothing. Because he's already overcome the world. He's already done it. You don't have to be afraid. And the reason why he's not freaking out is because he knows he has authority. He knows the throne is his, and he knows that he is the truth. The question is, do you know that too? Because if you do, that's incredibly comforting. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because eternity is already taken care of. And then to close it off, this is John 19. So they took Jesus away. 
carrying the cross by himself. And he went to a place, the place of the skull, in Hebrew that's called Golgotha. There they nailed him to a cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Pilate has no idea how right he was in that moment. Now, maybe you've heard this story more times than you can possibly remember. I don't want you to gloss over this. Or maybe this is your very first time hearing the story. So please hear me on this. You and I are represented in this story, in this scene, far more than we realize. First of all, you and I, we're Barabbas. We are Barabbas. You could scratch Barabbas' name out right there and write Matt. You could scratch his name out and write your name there. Jesus should have been the one that was set free and we should be bearing the penalty of our own sin. But because of the cross, if you put your faith and trust in him and turn from your sin, you're released. You're Barabbas, I'm Barabbas. The second thing is we have to answer that question. Who's sitting on your throne? Pilate didn't wanna hear the answer, but you've gotta answer it. Also the question about truth, we're right there too. We're presented with truth. Right now you've heard the truth. And truth is a person. What are you going to do with that truth? And if you only hear one thing, if you only see one thing in the story, see this. See how loved you are. Like if you ever wonder, am I loved? If you ever wonder, do people even see me? If you ever wonder, do I have any value? Do I matter at all? Behold the king. He's standing there bleeding and broken with a robe around his shoulders. There's a crowd of people in that moment screaming, kill him. But in that moment, he's whispering to you, I love you. I love you. The blood, the bruises, the thorns, and the robe, they prove it. That's the king. That's who has authority. That's who's sitting on the throne. Man, that's the truth. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this church. Man, the pillar that it's been in central Illinois for since the 50s. I pray that you would bless them, Father, that this church, the best days are in front, that you would bring revival starting in this room and let it go out throughout Bloomington Normal and throughout central Illinois and then let it scatter through the Midwest and the rest of the country. Start it right here. I pray that you would draw all men and women to yourself that you would give them favor and blessing, that you would protect them from the evil one, protect this church mentally, emotionally, physically, and especially spiritually. I pray that you would confront them in a way today, every single person, they're they're in a different spot with you. Would you speak to them, them in a way that only they as an individual can know? Would you let them see the truth? Would you let them experience your grace and forgiveness? Father, just thank you for taking our place. Thank you for releasing us. Thank you for being king. Thank you for having the authority. Thank you for sitting on the throne. Thank you for being the truth. We love you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.